Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Business Chef Podcast with me, Chef Sean Boucher. So, so happy to have you here. Joining us this week and every week as we talk about making food and making money. Here we are. You know, one of the things that keeps coming to light in this uh, current culture that we live in, where we're staying home, we're staying away from people, we're not going to the businesses that we once were... uh, we're just kind of staying put is how do those businesses survive? How do they stay open? And we've got an interesting one today. I think that is very applicable to most business owners out there. Anyone who is looking at the, the challenge of being closed and still having to pay rent. So we have my good friend, Eric Bernheim here today, who specializes in leases and, uh, has some great ideas, great ideas about how we can kind of navigate our current culture, as well as anyone who's out there looking to start a restaurant, what you need to look for in your lease. Sure. So when I was in my uh, undergraduate junior year, I realized that uh, I was a uh, a business major and, and I really couldn't stand my classes. I wasn't really enjoying them. Um, and my school actually was adjusting the uh, format of the uh, programs and they allowed us to add concentrations. And one of them was a legal studies concentration. And I had taken one or two legal classes in my undergraduate um, school at Ithaca College, and they um, they were always my favorite courses. So I decided at that point maybe I should concentrate in uh, legal studies and and then try to get into law school after uh, uh, after I graduate college. As I, I couldn't see myself uh, kind of going into uh, uh, the world and in a marketing. Um, uh, major like I had, uh, I just really wasn't enjoying it. <clears throat> so uh, I decided to take the plunge and go back to school, which I always kind of enjoyed. Um, and uh, um, I got an opportunity to uh, uh, go to law school in uh, in Rhode Island and also um, uh, uh, coach uh, the uh, undergraduate lacrosse team while I was there. And it all seemed to be kind of lining up for me. So I uh, uh, I decided to go down that path. You know, it's always interesting to me how, regardless of what field or industry we're in, we just never quite know what we're going to end up doing because uh, things change. We evolve. We we get exposed to things and kind of figure it out. So talk about the company that you're with right now. Um, well, now I'm at Halloran Sage, which is a Connecticut-based uh, law firm with about 100 lawyers. We have about five offices throughout the state and one down in Washington and DC. Um, and we really are a general practice firm. Um, uh, we have, uh, like I said, close to a hundred lawyers, each of, each of us kind of, uh, focuses on a certain area of the law. Um, when I joined the firm, um, uh, about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, um, I, I was coming from a, a much smaller firm, 
that I started at right after law school. And um, I got a lot of real estate experience um, in the office that I'm in didn't have a young real estate attorney um, in it. So um, uh, what really kind of turned my career was one day my managing partner called me into his office, told me that one of his uh, good friends, one of his neighbors uh, owned this small restaurant group in uh, based out of Norwalk, Connecticut. And they had a new lease that they were negotiating for a new location in Stanford, Connecticut. And that he was going to ask me to handle the lease. And he said, he's a really good friend of mine. I have dinner with him all the time. Please don't screw this up. Um, <laughs> so that was uh, um, probably a week or two after I joined Haller and Sage. And uh, so it uh, got me um, a little nervous, but we went through that lease and um, worked together. We were together really well. And when it was all said and done, we signed the lease and uh, um, the client sent my managing partner a nice email saying that he really enjoyed working with me. Um, and I've been doing leases with that restaurant group now for um, about, uh, about 11 years. And they've grown from when I started with them, they were probably three units and now they're about 40 across the country. So obviously you have the expertise and the knowledge of, of, how to do this. So for those of the, our listeners out there who are listening, who are thinking, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to do my own thing. I want to sign a lease. I want to, I want to get into a space and start a restaurant or a, a food concept of some sort. Talk about the process. What do you suggest people do to kind of go down that road? Well, I, I think really the, the best place to start is to get a, um, a, a broker, um, who really understands the restaurant industry, uh, is familiar with um, the demographics of the area and um, what, sort, what, what your business operations is going to look, look like. Is it going to be fast casual? Is it going to be sit down, fine dining, um, sit down, casual dining and the such? And, and really kind of investing in a partnership with a broker who's going to help you find the right location. Because if you have the wrong location, um, you could sink your life savings into this, uh, this spot that you think is perfect, but really isn't perfect for your concept. And you can't, you can't get away from a bad location. Uh, it could really destroy your, uh, uh, your investment and you could, you could lose everything you put into it, um, and, and fail, uh, pretty quickly if it's, if it's the wrong location. So I think picking the right location is, um, most important. And, and I think, uh, experienced um, uh, broker can can certainly help you do that. The group that I mentioned that I've been working with for over a decade, they have a great relationship with uh, uh, a broker at CBRE um, named Jessica Curtis, and she um, finds them all of their locations. She teams up with local brokers when she goes outside of her uh, kind of market area and, and helps, uh, helps to put her clients in the right spot. Um, once you find that right spot, then you really have to pay attention to the lease um, because the lease, although it's um, it's an investment to get a good uh, a good lease that will protect you throughout the term, you really have to look at this like you're buying a piece of property, even though you may only be getting the the premises for five, ten years, maybe another five or ten years in options. Um, but you're going to sink possibly your life savings into this or you know, millions of dollars into this, even if you're, if you're backed by, um, some, uh, some additional capital, 
And that lease is going to control your relationship with that landlord uh, for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And it's worth investing in having a document that you know you can rely on, that you know that protects you and clearly sets out your rights as well as the landlord's rights and obligations. So that there's not any fighting with your landlord because um, it, it really is a partnership between the landlord and the tenant. And in order to be successful, you both need the lease to work. You can't be fighting with your landlord nonstop. And you need the ability to operate without interference um, from the lease, but you also need to abide by those terms and the landlord needs to get what they're expecting as well. Well, and I think that, you know, initially when you are looking at leases and you're looking at spaces and things, you're going to be paying probably a cent amount for, you know, X number of years. And obviously, you know, those types of things can change over time too. Um, As you get into bigger um, complexes and uh, developments, um, the landlords get more sophisticated and then they're going to start asking for, you know, percentage rent deals where once you hit a certain um, uh, sales threshold, you're going to pay them more rent based on the sales above that threshold. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I think when restaurants get to that point where landlords are asking for those sorts of deals, you're, you, you've got a great concept and, and, you're, and you're starting to, to do things right because the landlords are thinking that, um, that you're going to hit these numbers, which is good for everybody. Uh, obviously, the more, the more sales you have, the, uh, um, uh, I can tell you most of my clients, although they, they'd rather not pay um, percentage rent on the deal because then they'd be making more, uh, <laughs> keeping more of their uh, uh, profits for themselves. Um, but if, when you get to that point, you're already making your return on investment that you uh, had, um, uh, sh- that you were shooting for. So that um, paying a little bit extra rent is kind of gravy. No, oh, absolutely. And I, yeah, <laughs> the, the higher the sales, the better. Um, you know, the old saying that sales hides a multitude of sins. Um, I want to transition a little bit and talk about kind of our current climate, because I think there's a lot of, a lot of knowledge and wisdom that you have um, based on our current situation. You know, our current situation, we are, we're in an unprecedented time where we don't we don't know exactly how long some of these businesses are going to be closed. We don't know exactly you know how we're gonna how we're gonna move to the next step. What that's going to look like. And so for those out there, because pretty much everyone is looking for rent relief. You know, obviously the challenge there is that you don't pay your rent, and maybe your landlord doesn't pay their mortgage. So. What, in your mind, is is the best way to go about this whole situation that we're currently in, uh, you know, asking for rent relief and things of that nature? Sure. So I, I think first and foremost, communication is key. Um, reaching out to your landlord when you are, are seeing that there's going to be some issues in, in this, um, you know, today with, with COVID-19, obviously, um, that's pretty evident and, and no landlord um, has, uh, gone, um, uh, a period of time without receiving calls from probably all of their tenants. Um, so they're expecting them. And I, I think in expecting these calls, they, um, most of them want to, want to work with the tenants. Cause like I, uh, said earlier, this really is a partnership. If the tenant's not successful, then the land, then the space is not going to be successful and the landlord's going to end up having to find a new tenant. Um, and nobody, uh, it's good for nobody when uh, the, the landlord needs to put 
somebody else in a space that you uh, that you built out. So um, communication is key. Um, trying to maintain those relationships and working with one another so that you can um, come to uh, uh, I guess a share the pain type solution. Um, it's not going to be good for anybody, but it could be. Um, it's, it's more doable, uh, for the long term if, if everybody shares the pain, I think, um, you know, the, the most reasonable response I've seen from a landlord, um, to a request for a rent deferment was that they asked the tenant to pay their proportionate share of the, uh, carrying costs of the property, which turned out to be about 10% of the rent. And they uh, allowed them to do that for um, for a couple of months initially, uh, and then they added on the two months to the end of the lease at um, to repay what the landlord was expecting to get. Now, I think that was a little bit easier for that landlord to do because the property wasn't leveraged uh, too much with uh, with financing. Um, uh, the landlords have an an obligation or a duty to go to their lender and see what sort of relief they can get from their lender. <laughs> if they can um, defer their payments to the end of the term as well, then maybe there's a way to catch back up down the road where, you know, the lenders are feeling a little bit of the pain, the landlords feeling a little bit of the pain, and then the tenants uh, paying their carrying costs when their sales maybe have gone from, you know, uh, drop to 10 to 20% if all they can do is uh, take out Awesome, awesome advice. Guys, if you are in this situation right now where you're needing rent relief or you're needing some sort of deferment, I definitely take Eric's advice and, and communicate with your landlord and communicate with note holders or lien holders or whoever it might be and uh, and see what you can do to work things out. This is a tough situation for everybody and no one no one really wants to be in this situation, but you know, taking Eric's advice and working together really can help us through this. Definitely look forward to having Eric on for future uh, discussions about this. Uh, wanted to get this out here as soon as possible to help as many people as we could before we're going through this. And uh, if you are interested in learning more about Eric or picking his brain or finding out about his firm and what they do, go check out the website. We've got the links to everything there and we will see you next week. Thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.